to uh, really believe it. It's been so long, but I've been doing this for 10, 10 years. And here's some t- statistics for you. As you know, this is the 686th episode of the podcast. There have been approximately 1,260 people who have appeared on the audio podcast. Here's the little last bit of information. The first segment was recorded in a storage container. All right, it was a retrofitted storage container. They took one of those storage containers you see on the trucks that come from the, sh- the shipyards and that contain who knows what. I-, I never know what's inside those containers, but in this case I do because they took it, a bunch of them and they made them into little shops and little food stands. And then one was this brand new internet radio station called B-Box Radio. And they invited me to do a talk show. I called it Film Wax Radio. I'd been doing a series called Film Wax Film Series, and it just seemed like the natural thing to do was to talk to people that, were, that I was going to have on the series. It just sort of went its own organic direction after that. But that's how it started, and it began with my first interview on September 14th, 2011, in Brooklyn. That site is gone. It's There's a mall there now called city point so if you go to the alamo draft house or the that fancy food court where there's also a trader joe's in the lower level you'll know that you're on sacred territory my friends you are standing where film wax radio had its origins i'm going to play you a few seconds of my first interview that i did in 2011 with a filmmaker and friend of mine, Zachary Levy, who had a documentary out at the time called Strong Man. Then we're going to bring Zachary on for a catch-up conversation. But here's now just a little bit of my first conversation on Film Wax Radio back 10 years ago this week. Okay. But hold on. Here it goes. This is me saying hello for the first time ever on Film Wax Radio. You're listening to B-Box Radio, streaming live at bboxradio.com. And that smattering of applause you just heard was uh, our very first official guest, Zachary Levy, director of Strongman. And actually, we're I'm going to be showing Strongman at uh, the Filmax film series in Park Slope. Uh, this weekend, and uh, probably by the time you're hearing this, it will have passed and will have gotten out of the uh, out of the slammer or something like that. I don't know. That way, th- these things can go. But the good, the other good news is that uh, coming a week from Friday, September 23rd, you're going to be uh, uh, enjoying yeah, the film the starts at the Brooklyn Heights Cinema for a week run, starting on uh, Friday, September 23rd. 
But this is going to be the first time it's playing in Brooklyn, or uh, well, we did, yeah, oh, right, I mean, we, did. we did a rooftop. Yeah, we did a rooftop screening, but uh, but yeah, it, it, essentially it's the first extended opportunity mm-hmm. for anyone in Brooklyn to see it. So that's great, um, which is good because I think it's the kind of film that the, the people in Brooklyn enjoy. So. Mm-hmm. At the rooftop, uh, had was stainless. Yeah, yeah, Stan came. We Stan. we did a stunt afterwards. Yeah. It actually wasn't so far away from where we were recording this. It's, it was right down by uh, by, by BAM. Uh, parking we, lot? Uh, well, it wasn't a BAM parking lot because this was a non-sanctioned uh, stunt, I, I guess you could say. But um, Stan uh, lay down in the middle of the street, and uh, we drove a truck up onto his chest. <laughs> um, okay. Now let's. I'm, I'd like to bring back on low these many years. Zachary is back on. Just to say hello for a little bit, we're going to catch up a little. We're going to reminisce for a few seconds. We're going to talk about what Zachary and I are up to, how this all... And then we're going to go into episode 686 of Film Wax Radio on this day, Friday, September 17th, 2021. And after 10 years, Zachary Levy... Lashana Tova to you, man. You look, I have to say, you look a little Hasidic. I keep on threatening that I'm going to, to shave it, but, you know, having not shaved I know, it. I, I think it looks great. Since March. I think it looks uh, very, ever, so. looks great to me. <laughs> looks very uh, nice. I was trying to think of how to, I don't know if celebrate's the right word, but maybe just commemorate or recognize that, like, I, believe it or not, 10 years of doing Film Wax, at least as a talk show, you know. It was on September 14th, wow. 2011, that, that you and I sat in a uh, storage container in, in the DeKalb Market in downtown yeah, Brooklyn, yeah. right? Uh, it did have yeah. a window in it. There was it, a window cut into it. Oh, for sure. Thing. Yeah. At least one. I, there might have, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to, you know, it, the mind's eye is funny, but I, I definitely remember having a window next to us yeah and i uh, just sitting across from each other it was yeah it was interesting because when i started that show when i started that relationship with this doesn't happen where i live upstate in tivoli <laughs> when i started it the people that were you know running b-box remember that were they were like yeah you should do the show and just use it as a way of 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 promoting your uh, film series so that was the original intent and the first my first guests like yourself were people that were i but did it I, now that i'm thinking about we it did. we did yes you, you did we showed choose? it at yeah you showed oh, it at the bar on fifth okay, Avenue we did. and like maybe about 12th street or so no it was higher up i don't even yes know. no exactly where it was 12 okay. between 12th and 13th street yeah it was uh so you were the first one okay 
No, no. I mean, on no, the show. The but not the screening. Not no, the film you series. Had, you had other, you had, yeah. a, you've been doing the screening, I think, for about a year at that point, or at least. I mean, I, mm, no, 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 no way. Well, but, okay. but for a few months, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, but you were, then I got this thing and it was, the timing was right. And you were brave enough to come over to the, I had no, no idea what I was doing, certainly, you know, and I don't remember preparing very much. I don't remember, you know, it's like, I guess I knew enough, but. Yeah, I mean, anyway. you had seen the movie. And, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know what else you need to do to prepare for these things so much. But I mean, I think, you know, I think they're probably a little bit of first episode jitters, but um, you seem to ride it well. Hmm. Thank you. Well, or at, least, or at least fake it well. If uh, you <laughs> A lot of it is psyching yourself. It's just saying, I'm sure you've been in that pr- situation where, you can either give into like the, the, the anxiety or the nervousness of something new and pressure where there's pressure, or you can just sort of put mind over matter and just say, eh, I can do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you have oh. to do that a lot. I mean, I it works too. Yeah. It can work. It's like, you're not performing microsurgery or whatever. I mean, which, you know, you can do too, I suppose <laughs> that takes a lot more psyching, but yeah, I mean, I have very fond memories of just of of, of that time. And, um, and then subsequently, we did a few more, I mean, at least one other event together with Strongman, your film. Yeah, we did. Well, I mean, you did the release party for the... That's UK. what it was. Yeah. Um, which was... That's what it was. That you had done that, so... was That uh, was at Theater 80? What was it? Yeah, Theater 80. We did it at Theater 80. St. Mark's. Uh, on St. Mark's. Uh, yeah. Stan's band played, if you remember That's that. <laughs> Stanless Steel Pleskin. Yes. So, and what was his his wife's name? or uh, Barbara. Barbara. How could I forget Barbara? And I was fine. It was interesting because by the point of that, that event, which was sometime later, maybe a couple of years later, right? Yeah. That was... Stan, uh, it, Stan had gotten pretty, like he lost a lot of his bulk. Yes. Yeah, um, I don't think he was pinching. Now. What? He's- He's not bulky now. I mean, he's, I mean, he's old. He's much older now, of course. Sure. Is he 70 or something? No, he's not 70. He's, um, but I have to think about this. Um, he would be, he would be 60. He'd be in his, he's in his early sixties. Okay. I found him to be the, the stand that was in your film was not the, quite the stand I met. Really? Yeah. Like he um, seemed a little bit more. I don't know, cocky or something. I, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I think that, that might have just been that night. And with the maybe, band, you know, I, I don't think um, I think I with think anyone was, else. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he had been come used to also gotten better and more seasoned at these types of things as a spokesman for himself and uh, of your film. Uh, oh, we have a we have a third guest in the, uh, yeah. in the podcast. <laughs> this is uh, Bella. My son's dog. Oh, nice. Yeah. But anyway. Um, um, yeah, I don't know if he, I, I wouldn't, it's hard to say. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, certainly I don't think there's any notes. There's no notes in the film which are not, don't exist in Stan's life for sure. Um, or didn't exist at that time in Stan's life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think I got the percentages, you know, I think I got the percentages right. Um, I'd like to think so. Um um, but yeah, I, th- I think my guess is if he, if he came up, if he was different on that, it, I think when, 
those events. It might have been also cool. just nervousness, like making yeah. up for a certain amount of, of, of nervous and, uh, energy and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I still found it perfectly nice. And we did a, the, there was a signing afterwards, right? Wasn't there like a memorabilia yeah. and, and stuff like that? Yeah. 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 No, it was a lot of fun that evening, actually. It was just, I had never been in that building, I don't think. So I was, it was at the Theater 80. So I was very oh, yeah. happy to be there. Yeah. I got a lot of my film education in that building um, because when I was a teenager, that was, that was Bella sorry, that. for the radio. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have like squeaky dog toys. Must have. <laughs> um, she does sound like a dog toy and looks yeah. like one too, actually. Uh, but that, you know, what they used theater 80 used to do in the, I don't know when they started this. I think they, as I think they actually started as a legitimate theater, but, at some time in the 80s, I, I, maybe it was the 1980s, maybe it was even earlier, um, they started doing revival films. Um, right, and it was the right. calendar. Uh, and it was a, a, like a, it was a typewritten mimeograph calendar, as I remember, that was on a cycle. It was almost like a, a Torah portion. <laughs> like it was like, it was like a reading that would, you know, every, you know, would right. repeat on like a, a six month cycle or something or a year cycle. I forget what it was, but, you mm-hmm. know, there'd be Hitchcock movies and there'd be the, Billy Wilder movies, and then there would be the. But I saw some great films there. I mean, I saw Strangers on a Train there, um, and they had a good audience. They had a, they, you know, would get a good audience. Um, you know, it was it was never more than you know, it was never it was always like half full at least. I would say. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, that's my memory of it as a sixteen year old. But it really was it really was a great place to see a movie because the 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 rake on those steep seats are pretty steep too. So good, like stadium seating almost. Uh, yeah, it was. And, you know, the, it actually had a, they had a very unique projection system there because they showed everything on 16 millimeter. So to some degree, I think that's why it was this repeating, repeating calendar, you know, schedule because, you know, there's not that you weren't getting, there's only so many films that have 16 millimeter prints of them. But what they would do because the rate, the, this, the, the, the depth of the theater was so short. To get a, a big screen, they actually it was actually a rear projection system where mm. the uh, projector was, I think, behind the stage and projected into a mirror, and then that would be projected back into a rear projection screen. It was an inter- it's, it was an interesting, but it was it was a great place to see a film. So it was kind of, it was nice for me in a way to to have our release party there just because it was like that nostalgic connection to yeah there was there was like specifically like, around your your film seeing so many classics or some you know. Yeah, 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 and you're and you you're you know I'm sure you you're processing all these films as you're watching wh- whether you know it or not you're, you know on oh, some yeah. level one is just digesting all this stuff and it, learning about film you know and storytelling for you know oh, yeah absolutely I mean going theater eighty when I was a teenager was a place that I would go to to study to study in my mind okay. I mean it wasn't it, I mean it was fun it wasn't it was arbitrary like, no no I mean it was it was fun for sure because it was like as a teenager going down St. Mark's in those days was, was not quite the, the vape shop emporia. That it is. No. And I was, yeah, it was a uh, uh, truggier and punk punkier, yeah. at least when I was young. And I first started going to St. Mark's in the, when I was in, still probably in high school. Yeah. There was a lot of punk yeah. shops, oh. kind of a punk stuff. And <laughs> Although I think studied. I probably was, at, I'm, I'm a little younger. So I think You're younger. I was probably at the tail end of, you know, like the punk, yeah. You know, there were certainly punks, quote unquote, on the street, you know, in the late 80s on St. Mark's. I don't know, you know. Right. I mean, it is a little bit past. It's past your era of. Uh, oh, definitely. 
Definitely. Uh, yeah. No, no. Uh, we're, I'm talking about the late seventies yeah, yeah, to, to definitely in the height of that, that yeah. time, but I was a kid, so I wasn't going to the club. I wasn't going into CBGBs. I was right. just, you know, a few blocks from there meeting a friend or coming in with a friend, perhaps for on a weekend, you know, from Queens and, <laughs> and going to Washington square park, hanging out for the afternoon or whatever, you know, which was like an adventure each time. So, but I, I never went to theater 80, but I went to Bleecker street cinema which is, you know, yeah. no yeah. hasn't been there in many years. Right. Yeah. And of course, I, you know, I did some uh, Lionel Rogerson who owned Bleecker Street. I've been worked over the last one of the nice connections with for me is that I, I did go to Bleecker Street a little bit, but it was really towards the tail end of its life that I went there. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But then I've started working a little bit over the years with Michael Rogerson's Lionel's son. Lionel Rogerson. Did he own other theaters? No, that was his theater, but he was, you know, yeah. he, was, he was a filmmaker, um, you know. Um, Documentaries the, uh, or? Yeah, well, On the Bowery is his most Oh, famous. that's his most famous yeah. film. Sure, that's not right yeah. now on the Criterion. Yeah, I don't know, Theater 8, all those theaters. I mean, there was a different era in New York. Yeah, right, but you're right. These old New Yorker characters owned these, independently owned these theaters at the time. They, were, they weren't all owned by corporations. Right. You know, obviously the IFC Center and uh, the around the corner, the Angelica. I mean, these are owned by larger companies and uh, film form is still the exception. But I'd like to think, you know, I, somehow, even if they're owned by larger companies, there's still a lot of personality in each of the each of these theaters. You know, there's a dis- distinction between Metrograph and uh, Metrograph IFC. is another independently owned. Right. You well, know, Metrograph and, and even yeah. IFC, I feel like I feel like there is a personality there. Um, you know, it may be owned by a corporate parent, but I do feel like there there is a sense of personality when you when you go. Oh, I, I think you're right. And I think they're well programmed and or, you know, curated, whatever. Yeah, I think so. And it, is the Metrograph up and running or is it? I don't think so. I walked by there uh, maybe about a month ago and they had... Okay. No, I don't think they were. Yeah. They are. But I'm getting the emails, so I just... Uh, I sigh, sigh, sigh. Well, I just... I, I'm so glad to stay connected to you all these 10 years later. You did do the show one other time, I think, um, in the, sometime in there. In the five-year the, anniversary? <laughs> maybe it was. Yeah, you came on and at the old American can factory. I remember that one. Oh, right. Yes, I do. We were at a desk. Um, yeah. The rooftop, rooftop yeah. offices. Yeah. One of the show was being hosted or sponsored by rooftop films, but it's nice to, to have you back and to catch up with you. Now that you're, we've gotten a, your corporate, you're a corporate cog. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't really see it that way. How can um, I, I, I know you don't, and I'm only teasing you. You know, I actually, you work it out. You work. You're creating content for Amazon. Yeah, I mean, but I see it as you know. I actually really see it as a way. I, I don't know. To me, it's all these things are exercise, and I see it as a great way to actually, you know, build muscle and um, absolutely, you know, and do work that you know. Otherwise, I my muscles would be atrophied, you know. And that's um, absolutely. I, I I'm I'm glad people. Every time I hear somebody, you know, has figured out how to take these um, rather you know, challenging obstacles that we're facing and, you know, and, and sort of figure it out, you know, it's, it's very, it's important. So yeah, absolutely. I was teasing. And actually what that was really nice about the first thing I did for them was it actually doesn't mention Amazon. Well, I should say 
I don't know if you're including the first part of our thing, but it is, it's AWS that I'm working for. They, they think of themselves. Right. And which is a server platform, right? Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's most of the internet goes through AWS in some way. Like it's, it is a platform, but they have all kinds of analytics, all kinds services. of services that get added. Products into and services. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Well, Filmwax has been storing the audio files on their server forever. Yeah. But I mean, one of the, the like the, the first film I made for them, one of the amazing things about it was it doesn't mention AWS or Amazon at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's uh, it's just a, a film about a uh, about a program at Columbia that teaches formerly incarcerated people how to code. And you know, so it was really a nice, as far as a corporate job, you know, corporate filmmaking gig. It was like, hey, this is very cool. That so I was. I was happy about that. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty impressive, actually. Wait, what was the subject matter? Uh, it's about a program that uh, uh, teaches uh, formerly incarcerated individuals how to code. Oh. So to train formerly incarcerated people uh, for tech tech world jobs. Oh, fantastic. And I bet they eat that up, too, those guys and women. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it was, it's, a, it's an inspiring program. Mm-hmm. They could be doing that during the sentence as well of course but that's another yeah whole it would be nice that it would it would be nice if some of these things could happen <laughs> yeah you know Not during after the fact but we could contribute to right to rehabilitation you know yes exactly right and everybody uh your family everybody's good yeah everyone's all right i mean i would i feel very lucky in that regard um mm-hmm. i know it hasn't been easy for a lot of people so yeah, I mean, I knock on wood about that, but it it has been it's been good and 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 in some ways, you know, like I think we were talking before about reconfiguring things. I you know, I don't my family's not physically closer together than it was before the pandemic, but I mean, we do a weekly Zoom call and we still even a year and a half later we still do this weekly Zoom call and it's that is great. Brought, yeah. I mean, it's brought parts of the family together that we're not we're not together before. So that's been really nice. Well, if you're going upstate, let me know. Yeah. I mean, I haven't you know? ever gone through, I mean, to get to Maine, that's, uh, no, I know you're going, I know you're going up the parkways and all. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you know, I love the, the interesting. Um, I'd yeah. love to spend more time there. I'm on the New York city side though. So I'm not in the Catskills per okay. se, but okay. I'm close. I'm, I'm across the river, you know, on the, like you know, on the on the east side of the right. Hudson, so it's actually it's not New England, but it's I can get into the Berkshires into Western like Connecticut and Mass in, in no time. Right, it's really close. Cool. Yeah. Well, right. I appreciate your squeezing this in, Zachary yeah. Levy. And how do people keep in touch with you, like if they wanted to? Um, Strongman website is still you know they can reach out through that. It's fine. Beautiful. All it's right. Strongmanfilm dot so. Okay. Hashtag never shave. <laughs> I, I like I say, I, I mean, well, I'll see you in another, what is it? 10 years or I hope know, not. I hope it's sooner than that. Me too. Me too. Yeah. It will be, it will be, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I hope it's sooner than that for sure. Me too. All right. All right. Well, it's good to see you. Same it's, here. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's really good to see you Adam. Better way to try. They wouldn't put on the brain.
blinking traffic lights Me, I never took the time to waste I'm coming home by the drunkest girl in the darkest part I'm ringing out like the biggest kink in the chain of doubt Next week, we'll be talking to Michael Galinsky, who is on episode number two of the show. And we'll catch up with Michael Galinsky and find out what's going on. And we'll talk about the early days of Filmwax Radio. All right. So first up here uh, now is Rachel Boynton, who has a brand new documentary called Civil War or Who Do We Think We Are? An Urgent Reflection on America's Collective Memory. It's executive produced by, get this, Film Wax Radio friend Sam Pollard, who's been on the show many times. And not surprisingly, this seems right up his alley. It's also executive produced by Henry Louis Gates Jr. and Brad Pitt. And it launches in select theaters today, Friday, September 17th. Now, let's meet Rachel Boynton, first time on Film Wax Radio. There's one episode of America's history that is told very differently depending on who you are and where you live. It is the story of our civil war and what came after. We have not adequately understood who we are as a nation. There's a big movement to remove Confederate history. I don't see the pain in this symbol. I don't think that slavery and Jim Crow should be forgotten. I'm going to disagree with a common idea that the Civil War was totally about slavery. You don't really hear the word slavery or slaves in Mississippi. The simple term is whitewash. In that reconciliation, the nation itself embraces the Confederacy. All of this tension and anger comes from the erasure of African-Americans' history. We all should learn the real history because we think we know, but we don't. You know, I first moved to New York in 96 for graduate school. Uh-huh. I went to the journalism school at Columbia. And they, um, that's the one in Manhattan? I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. And they assign, you, they assign you beats. Like everybody gets a neighborhood. Oh. Oh, a beat. That makes total sense. Right. So, and yeah. I, like, you know, a lot of us were totally basically fresh off the boat. We didn't know anything. We didn't know where we were. We, like, we knew nothing about the city. And they give you some random neighborhoods somewhere in the five boroughs. And my beat was Carroll Gardens. Hmm. So I, I mean, Carroll Gardens Forum heads up to Atlantic Avenue. Yeah. Well, right. Well, this could be an interesting conversation and we can pivot to the film because <laughs> when I lived there, and that in that particular neighborhood, it was still very much an Italian neighborhood with the sl- the beginnings of gentrification for instance, my being there probably. And I lived right on Smith Street, which was no not the greatest location because the F train and G train ran, ran under my building, you know, all the time. There were um, a couple of instances very early on where some of the, you know, uh, African-American kids from down from the next neighborhood over came over and there were still like incidents where they got beaten up because they were, they'd made it, they'd come into the wrong neighborhood where there was still this legacy of like divide, you know? Like, I think it was a moth podcast about that. Oh, this neighborhood. Um, it was a, a black 
journalist or writer who told a story about being a kid in this neighborhood or going. Oh, to interesting. Yeah. I was really, it's an eye opener for me yeah. <laughs> as a young, young kid, like my first New York apartment, you know? And then by the time you moved there, it was under a great transition because, you know, all of the Smith Street was uh, going through this renaissance and uh, I had been living in Manhattan for years by then. And by the time I came back to Brooklyn, yeah, it was a whole other Brooklyn then became Brooklyn, you know, like it was anyway, it's nice to meet you. And I don't I don't know how it is that we haven't met before. It seems well, my films take forever. I just I work on one film for forever. So well, how, how long did this one take? I started thinking about this film in July of 2015. I started shooting this film in January of 2016. And I finished the film in 2020 and it came out in 2021. Wow. I like, I was reading the, you know, all the press materials and everything. And uh, I, I liked how it, it was like, we started the film, this documentary at the, toward the end of the Obama years and we finished it. It's like totally omitting the guy in between <laughs> in the language of, of the film, which is, which is fine. We can just leave that name out there. I don't care. You know, well, I left him out of the movie. I mean, I didn't, I didn't put him in the movie. Yeah. Well, in a way, I feel like, you know, I mean, I just, this just occurs to me as we're talking about it, but in a way it's, it's just, he's sort of beside the point in the, yes, he, he sort of opened the door to, you one could say to being free to behave and divulge your, your behavior, what have you, your feelings now and not be, feel ashamed about it or apologize for it. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't there already. And the film really focuses on the institutional aspects of it. Yeah, or just sort uh, of more deep-rooted. Right. You know, the parts of it that are deeply integrated into how we tell the story of who we are, which was there long before Trump. And Trump was able to use that to his ends. Um, but it didn't come from Trump. And he's not, right. he's sort of a, a symptom of something much bigger. Right. And I think it's where the hard people, people, when I say people have kind of the hardest time with this, 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 you know, apologizing for lack of another word, the institutional or, or not, 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 what I'm trying to say is they, or, or just connecting the dots about what institutional racism is, you know, like that it's so entrenched in, in, in the laws and our institutions and, you know, that, it's just not like, well, you know, I have no control over that. So I can't really, doesn't make any sense to me or something, you know. You mean you feel like white people, that again, I don't They don't understand. seem to get, well, I don't mean everybody, of course, but a lot of people just don't seem to under, you know, get this idea of institutional racism. They just don't understand, like that it's. Because white people don't have to think about race. I mean, there's that. I mean, <laughs> you know, white people in their whole life, you know, when I was young, I, like when I went to college. I never considered taking an African-American history class, which was, by the way, in the African-American studies department, right? That, that was the name of the department. Right, right. Because I thought that doesn't have anything to do with me. Why would I, why would I take a class in that department? That's not my story. Um, and I think 
a lot of white people feel that way, but, but the story of race in America is not their story, which is of course completely absurd because race, I mean, this is getting overly intellectual, but race is entirely made up. It's not real. And it, the entire story of race is, Explain what that means, because it's that it's you're saying race is a construct, right? So if that's the seed of the of what we're talking about, that you go back to that. Right. It all starts with that. I mean, I'm Jewish. And when my mother was young, there was a quota in her school for how many Jews were supposed to be allowed. Right. There was a time in this country where Jews were not considered white. But today, when I walk down the street, people look at me and I'm white, right? I walk through the world as a white person today. That's because Jews here became white. Just like Italians, we were talking about Italians in Carroll Gardens. They have become white. They weren't always considered white. But who we call white has expanded over time. Um, I would argue that even there are people of color who may not consider Jews white, but in a positive way, or not necessarily positive, but just like in a, like we can relate to each other way. Well, there's a difference between um, how people define themselves or see themselves and how the world sees them, right? And so, you know, a Jewish person might not consider themselves white, but the world might see them as white. So... I'm saying maybe other minority, another minority might see Jews in, in, in a positive sense as not white. In other words, as somebody who's similar to them. Right. I, I mean, you know, I've had that experience in my marriage, which I'm, you know, that, that particular experience where this was news to me because I just identified as white, but I didn't know I wasn't white, <laughs> you know, or somebody else may not consider me white. Like that's very, I couldn't quite understand that. That was new to me too, you know? So say again. You're Jewish? I am Jewish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah that would be important to, to tell and <laughs> within the context of what I just described, but these are, this, this is all around this construct issue that we're talking about. This, this, that race is a, you were saying race is, is a construct, which seems to me the beginning of the whole, but that doesn't mean that it's not real, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it has a real impact on how I walk around and the opportunities that are given to me or my children. Mm-hmm. And it has a real impact on people who are, you know, walking to a store or a school or a workplace and are, and are immediately labeled as black, right? That's the black person walking in the room. It's a, it's a question of how we see each other as, as American citizens, mm-hmm. how we see each other and how we label each other out of the gate describe your your you you worked with uh, erica Dilday, who i know oh great from the measles years yeah. i don't know if she's still there she's still there no, she's now oh. The head of POV, so. oh oh she ran over to POV. okay yes and so so you did you feel it was essential to collaborate with an african-american filmmaker as well definitely i mm-hmm. mean i think it was very important as part of as a white person um mm-hmm. And just as myself, it's, it was important in making a film. This is a film about how Americans tell the story of the Civil War right. and how they teach it to their children. And I spent many years traveling around the country, going into classrooms and going into people's living rooms and going into public spaces and recording how Americans tell this story. 
right? And it's a story that really changes depending on where you're standing. And because it is also very much a story of race and black and white race relations in America, it was very important for me as a white filmmaker, mm-hmm. black filmmakers who could, very, who could help point out the things that I wasn't seeing. And that happened all the time with Erica. Like I would show her a cut and she would give me a list of five things that had never occurred to me that were spot on, totally important. And once she said them, I was like, oh, wow, okay. I need to take that into account. Um, and they were coming from her point of view. They were not things that I would have seen without her. Right, no, I get, I get that. And it goes back to this example you brought up earlier, which was way before maybe you were, you were still like self-identifying as a journalist. Perhaps you still do, but that you in college wouldn't occur to you to take these African-American studies classes because, you know, it's just, you wouldn't know. You would, that, it's like, that's over here. You know, and so making the film, this had to be kind of both humbling and also like gratifying for on a personal level to be an opportunity to really learn and grow. It was a huge opportunity to learn and grow. I grew enormous in making this film. I, I mean, I, I, how long has it? I've been making it for what six years? My my library has exploded. (laughs) I've read books that I read when I was twelve that I never did. I, you know, my knowledge about the history of our country has, has really deepened. And also, you know, I've, I've come to look at my own life and, and the life of my family in a very different way. And hmm. you know, while, I, while I was making this film, um, we, as I mentioned to you, we live in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, and both my husband and I have two mm-hmm. girls and they were both going to the local public school, which is predominantly, not predominantly, it's almost entirely white, which is a function of the neighborhood in which we live. Right, right, right. Again. Entirely white. And I, um, while I, very early on while I was making this film, that started to feel very uncomfortable to me that I was sending my children to the school. And the younger one was in a French program, which I personally think is very valuable in terms of diversifying the mind and Mm -hmm. think in different ways. Language is a big deal. So we kept her there, but the one who was in the general education program, we pulled her out of the school and we put her in a different school that was infinitely more diverse. And frankly, I think way better for her mind and her life. And I never would have done that if I hadn't have been um, thinking about these issues in the way I was, or I mean, the way in which I live i i think about the world in a very different way you're making informed choices you're thoughtful you're putting you're now you can't put the genie back in the bottle which is i think you start thinking about race in this country once you start recognizing especially for white people that the story of race is a story about you um right you you see it everywhere it's everywhere it's everywhere it's intrinsic right and and you have to i mean if you want to um, live by principles that promote equality in our country, you, we all need to kind of change the way we live and think about, you know, as there's a wonderful scholar in the film, Kelly Carter Jackson, who I think is fantastic. Um, she's a black woman. She wrote a book called Force and Freedom, which I highly recommend. Um, is it in your library by any chance? <laughs> it, it's not on this floor though. It's in a different... Okay. <laughs> um, but 
yes, and it's a wonderful book. And it's about the use of force by black people to promote their freedom fighting slavery. And um, she says one thing in the film that I really took to heart, which is that, you know, white people need to think about the spaces that they're moving through. Is your church all white? Is the school your kids are going to all white? Um, if you send your child to that integrated school, are you putting your money into the school in a way so that it benefits every student? Are you actually putting your resources toward trying to create more benefit for your neighbors and the people who might not have the advantages that you do? I'm trying to, you know, I have all these thoughts and my own sort of answers to some of these large philosophical questions. And, and, but I'm trying to stay within the context of the documentary. Because, sure. you know, it's very easy as somebody who's thought a lot about this as well to start really going down a certain rabbit hole, I suppose, you know, because I just really do have a lot of thoughts about what we're talking about. But that's good. The film will do that to you. I think people should see it because I think it will provoke thoughts and questions and, and you know, challenge people. It's going to get people talking to each other, it's which cool. I think is and, valuable. Like, people come out of this film arguing and sometimes they're made very uncomfortable and sometimes they really like it, but they definitely talk to each other after. Well, yeah, being uncomfortable is sort of the first necessary phase to go through yeah. when you're going to change your perspective. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. you're changing your perspective is, is also an internal thing as well. It's not just how you view the world, but it's how you view yourself in that world, you know? So I, I agree. And the, the documentary, again, which is called Civil War or who do we think we are? And it's out on September 17th. Um, it's, and it's, we can mention you've got some wonderful executive producers here in Henry Luke's, Lewis Skip Gates. And can you call him Skip, by the way? Do you have that kind of now relationship with him? I mean, I call him Professor Gates. Okay, that's, that's a good answer. My friend and, and podcast friend, Sam Pollard, he's been on here at least six times. With every film, I make sure he comes on and talks about every film. Yeah. And and somebody named Brad Pat, Pat, Brad, I don't know. Anyway, that's a good one too. Well, it's, you know, you're made of a very timely film. It seems like everybody is in the throes of this conversation around the critical race theory. So it's been so politicized and yet another level. But this is a sequel to your film, I think. <laughs> what we're going through now because we're going through a very 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 difficult phase but i think again it's that discomfort level perhaps if you look at it with a half glass full i think what we're going through now is is maybe could be a necessary step to get to the next place we need to get as a country the the removal of you know the civil war uh these uh rather statues you know is is just a place where we we have to do it <laughs> you know, to get to the next spot. When I was making this film, this conversation wasn't happening in the way it's happening now. No, because we were post-racial, Rachel. We had elected a Black president. So why do we, you know, we can, we can pat ourselves on the back now. Yeah. And so it's great. It's been over the course of the making of this film that this conversation has really exploded. And I think that's fantastic. And I'm hopeful that the film can be part of it. But I also think that the film is valuable because it kind of provides a window into the way other people in our country see, right? Because I did go to so many different places. Right. I was in Mississippi and I was in Tennessee and I was in Boston and Washington and, 
and I went to classrooms in all of these places. And so you get to see how kids are learning and you get to see how people who care very deeply about the subject matter feel about the subject matter. And I think it's kind of, um, because we are such a divided country right now, there aren't really a lot of opportunities to listen to each other in a real way. And I think this film can be an opportunity to hear voices because it is listening to so many different kinds of people, people who, by the way, you might not want to listen to. Right. But it gives these people space to talk so that we, as a country, right, we as a country can think about um, all the various points of view that are included in America and how we're going to try and move forward as a nation. Well said. Well, I'm going to encourage people to see it. It'll be in select theaters on the 17th. And then what's the roadmap here? Does it go off? Um, it's, it's Peacock picked it up. Oh, right. I did read that. I forgot. I should made, should have made a mention, right? Peacock. That's fantastic. Which, uh, it's very exciting. So means it, people can see it for, for, for free actually. Right. Cause it's just get the app. People to see for free and hopefully people will watch it and hopefully people will come out and see it in the theater. Um, we are doing these screenings in various locations and I'm going to all of them. So, and we're going to be doing panel discussions focusing on how the civil war and race and racism are taught in American classrooms to do sort of public conversations around this issue. So my hope is that especially teachers and people who care about education will come to these screenings and really engage with that particular aspect of the film. Yeah. Right. And we need, and, 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 and hopefully take away from the film, just, we need to be, to listen to each other because uh, it hasn't been being encouraged the last number of years to, you know, we've been set against each other very, very effectively. And so now we kind of have to pivot. You know, it's interesting. The last time I released a film was in like 2014, 2013. It was a long time ago. And going through this process today versus going through this process then has been very interesting because the world has really changed in those years. And one of the big changes has to do with social media and the way in which information is conveyed now in such a large proportion through social media. Um, And I think, I mean, that concerns me at some level because it allows, as everyone has talked about, for the siloing of information. But it's really true. Like we can all just kind of stay in our own little tribes. Absolutely. Right. Right. And, and, and then there's alternate facts as, and alternate truths and realities as a result of that, which is very, nobody, so real truth becomes foggier and foggier. Yeah. So it's, I mean, one of the values of this film in a certain way is kind of old fashioned, right? It's made in sort of an old fashioned way. We went around and we listened to people and we sat around and we filmed them while they did stuff. And we didn't make things happen in front of the camera. We let things happen in front of the camera. And that took a lot of time. But the result is a film that does really allow people to speak. And that gives space to these various points of view. And it also gives space to the people who see the movie to take it for what they want. Like to, to, to take in what it's giving them and to think about their own lives and how their lives fit into what the movie is showing. Thank you very much. And um, this has been a pleasure meeting you and talking to you. Pleasure to meet you too. Yeah, I wish you much success with uh, this catalyst 
of a film you've made. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you highlighting it. It means a lot. Sorry? I said I appreciate you highlighting it. It means a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. My pleasure. Thanks. I'm glad for the opportunity. So we'll do it again. All right. Terrific. Well, thank you. Great. All right. Well, very nice meeting you. That means we're kind of now it's over. (laughs) And uh, I guess you have another interview right after this? Oh, not not right in like an hour. Oh, that's good. I, can... I know I have to I'm going to be talking to the uh, uh, my friend who runs the Woodstock Film Festival in a little bit that still Myra yeah Myra Blaustein yes yeah, she's still yeah she's terrific yeah yeah I live near pretty close to Woodstock so it's now become my local festival which is nice because I was going for years before that you know yeah when is it it's at the end of the month yeah. So it's, it's at the on the 29th. So it runs into the first week or, or well, it's only a few days. So it, it just bleeds right into the beginning of October, I guess. It's a lovely. I, I went to that festival with my first film. And it yeah. Was, what was that one? Our brand is Crisis. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. I did see that. This is we didn't mention this is like kind of like loosely a trilogy, but it's OK. I think we it's in the okay. people don't need to know that. Yeah. It's not germane to the experiencing. I, I this want, film. I just want... What's that? I just want people to see it one way or another that's the goal yeah 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 well I was gonna I didn't want to bring up too much personal stuff I was I was when I was married I was married to an African-American and as evolved as I was and she looked on my bookshelf when we were dating and she goes oh my god you're so evolved but I I I had I because I did take some classes in you know African-Americans I didn't focus on it but I did take some and I had a lot of great books but you know I and I went to a very very progressive summer camp that was very integrated and then I went to an extremely integrated high school in Queens which I didn't even really blink an eye to I didn't realize how unique an experience but with all of that Rachel with all of that I still didn't have a clue maybe a little clue but I didn't really know much until I was actually married and seeing things through her eyes and it took a lot and it really required a lot of me to not be defensive and not be yeah ref, you know reactive or I, I just I had to kind of just be humble about it and start over that must have been really hard and hard on like an intimate relationship too it was it certainly was I mean you know and then there's families you know <laughs> I mean you just figure well I'm a liberal I love everybody I'm colorblind and all these things but it's a good start. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the issue, I don't know how old you are, but we might be around. I'm 20. You're 20? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Almost three times, though. <laughs> um, but growing up, I am slightly younger than you are, but not by much. And growing up, um, these things just weren't talked about like this. No. I mean, like, in the seventies, everybody, you know, free to be you and me. Like, yeah, we were, we were one people, and and this notion that somehow equal rights had been achieved, um, they glossed over. Yeah, so many things. I remember I moved around a lot growing up, and I remember in most of the places we lived, the neighborhoods were all white, or predominantly white. And I remember thinking to myself, why is that? Like, why is it that like these neighborhoods are, why is it that my school is mostly white when I live right outside of Chicago? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why is that? And I, I never, 
I really do. You, well, do it would have taken a lot. It sounds like to do that, all that work on your own. And when it should have ideally, been, I say ideally, but been you taught to you why it, it is the case. Well, that's it. like, I never, like one of the books that was on my shelf that I read while I was making this was um, Frederick Douglass. I, I, no one ever told me to read Frederick Douglass in school. Can you believe that? That's extraordinary. How is it possible that I went to two Ivy League universities and never read Frederick Douglass? That's just a tragedy. I mean, that makes no sense. And, and it, 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 that's because in a very profound way, the story of the United States has always been the story of white men Privilege. in power. Right. Always well, your daughters. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say your daughters now benefit, can benefit from. Well, we talk about whiteness all the time in my house. <laughs> like, <laughs> like my poor kids. Like, yeah. Yeah. But when they're older, they're going to be grateful. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they'll hate me. I didn't say that. Of course, they're, they'll, <laughs> but they'll be grateful to, they'll be, you know, be able to sort of really have a deeper understanding and empathy. Uh, and empathy. The hardest part about this film and about the subject is that it makes people so uncomfortable and that people really do feel incredibly uncomfortable talking about the reality of what they feel and what they see and what they experience on all sides, right? Like, yeah, right. Every- massively uncomfortable right but more more white people (laughs) just kidding i don't think that's kidding around i was joking i don't think it's true i think black people feel really uncomfortable too like how about like being the one black kid in a private school in a history classroom and talking about slavery and having the entire class turn and stare at you as though you have like right you're going to represent the entire race there are all sorts of experiences that people of color have their you know, that they don't necessarily announce in the moment, like, hey, guys, this is really uncomfortable for me. Um, so I, I just think we need to be, I've been, I've been surprised at how uncomfortable the movie makes people, because it doesn't mm-hmm. make me uncomfortable, but it makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. I don't know, I would try to turn it into like lemonade by just sort of saying, what it would just just embrace our you know everything that's happening you know in terms of rate the race dialogue because it's just so liberating it's just let it like I, I people that are so afraid of being in a white minority in this country it's like you know getting this is where i wasn't going to go in our official conversation but bringing it to today's situation here but it's just like who, who cares? Just, just don't yeah. give it up. It's like we're, life's so much easier when you're not walking around with all this fear and hate and all that. It's just it's complicated because, like I was saying before, real equality does require a sacrifice. That's right. Yes, right. Like white yeah. people who have something do actually kind of have to give something up. They do, and it like that. And if we want to, the thing is that we don't really see ourselves as citizens of the same country. I mean, since I, I'm, I'm not an American historian, so I can't speak on this authoritatively, but certainly over the course of my lifetime, starting like with Reagan, the sense of like every man for himself, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The government isn't going to help right. you. Individualism. Yeah. I mean, we are all on our own, even people with means, you're on your own. And, and there's not a real sense in this country right now of we are in this together. And that question of how are we going to cultivate that? How are we going to be in this together? 
so that we actually care about the people around us who don't have the things that we have, so that we, that we aren't just simply trying to hold on and protect, but that we can actually, because when you have, like, I live in this amazing neighborhood where my neighbors are, I have the best neighbors in the world. And they're so supportive of, my child was in the hospital and our neighbors were, I mean, they helped us with our other kid. Like we were there for each, they were there for me, you know, when I needed help and I needed help. And in the same way, like that feels really good to have the support of your neighbors. And I do think there's a way if we felt more connected to each other as citizens, that we could cultivate more of that spirit, not just on our blocks, but in a larger space. Other people would disagree with you though. Some people like Greg Carr in the movie thinks it's impossible. Well, that's, um, yeah. Well, you're gonna have a variety of um, opinions and, 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 and experiences. I'm sorry about your relationship with your wife. It sounds really stressful. Oh, um, with my, my ex-wife no where we found an even you know we found a a, a happy place i'm glad but yeah. it still sounds really yeah i mean i think i know i know interracial couples who especially this moment right now i think for a lot of interracial couples it's been very difficult we split up during the obama years now that i think about it <laughs> well maybe that's a blessing so you didn't have to go through this moment together <laughs> but it's it's well, we're raising a, we're raising, we're, st- we're still raising a child, you know, through this period. So, uh, you know. I wish anyway. you well. I, I mean, would... I think the best we can all do is just be open and honest, right? And say yeah. the things we think we feel out loud and just be honest about it. And yeah, and try not to berate each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was a part two. I don't know. that, that <laughs> Or just a longer conversation. I do. Um, anyway, thank you. I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time to watch the film. I appreciate you helping me with it. I'm sure, and um, I look forward to meeting you in person one of these days. And good luck. Take care. It's magic, it's magic, the way we got together. There's magic around us in the air. It's magic, it's magic. Not at random, and there must be a higher power somewhere. I know that magic is an easy word to condemn, but I've tried other girls and I wasn't made for them, and I knew it from afar. You know, I do work in the book world as well, believe it or not. And so, you know, films about authors and books, they, it always appeals to me. I'm a big reader. So I saw bestsellers, and I also really have a deep crush on Aubrey Plaza as well as on Sir Michael Caine. Anyway, Aubrey Plaza plays Lucy Stanbridge, who has inherited her father's publishing house, and the ambitious would-be editor has nearly sunk it with failing titles. She discovers she is owed a book by... The venerable Harris Shaw, played by Michael Caine, a reclusive, cantankerous, booze-addled author who originally put the company on the map decades earlier in a last-ditch effort to save the company, Lucy and Harris release his new book and embark on a book tour from hell that changes them both in ways they could never have expected. 
So we have Lena Rossler, who is uh, from Toronto. She is the director. And uh, the film also stars Ellen Wong, Scott Speedman, and Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride, of course. And opens today, Friday, September 17th in select theaters. Let's talk to Lena Rossler here on Film Wax Radio. We need relevant writers that can make us relevant again. Is there anyone dead we can revive? Maybe, but he's not dead. Who? Harris Shaw. He's dead. Back her off. Dragon. Really? I mean, he's... Was it? Probably. Did you know he shot his last assistant because he mistook him for a bear? Oh, I don't how, how is that. that even possible? I don't believe it. You can't believe everything. Oh, we're not bears. We're not bears. We at Stanbridge Publishing believe that is your signature, so you owe us a book. Shut up. Anything you want to show me? Your pound of flesh. I won't do the bloody tour. Do the tour or I edit the book. Those are your choices. This is a book tour. Why don't I read something? Bullshit. 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 No one's interested in the book. They're interested in this freak show. This man is the book reviewer for the Times. I don't like book critics. And I found it totally pessimistic. <gasps> You're all bullshit. Hi, Lena. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How are you? Uh, are you? Where are you? I'm in Toronto. That's what Canada. I thought. Are you at TIFF? It's the first day, is not? Yeah, but I'm at home. <laughs> well, I was going to, that was a joke question further down would be like, why aren't you at TIFF? It's the opening day of TIFF. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I've got some friends and I've got some, there's a couple of films this weekend. And I think that I might go try to check out. And, at yeah. the light box or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm attending myself, except virtually. Right. But but next year, fingers crossed. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But it's great to have seen bestsellers, and um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the this relationship. It's sort of, as I, I kind of was thinking, you know, in a way, uh, as a lot of stories are told, when you have two people that connect so deeply over the course of a story it becomes sort of a love story yeah i i i think that's totally true i i i I liken it to like a surrogate father-daughter love story right it it totally is a love story yeah non-sexual non-romantic oh right yeah love story but yeah a deep friendship story yeah right so yeah we we mentioned uh the age gap there so you are going to try to get audiences older and younger. Do you think, what do you feel like, I know you didn't write this. There's either a stampede upstairs or there's a yeah. couple of young children. I apologize if you can hear any of that. But what do, you, what do you think is, what is the book culture? I mean, in your neck of the woods, because obviously down here, the competition with uh, screens is, is, I mean, it's not a competition. Screens seem to have won out. So I'm just because this this movie, like a number of others that come to mind, cherishes books and writing. Yeah. Do you find that's the case up in in Canada? Or do you like you know in in obviously like in in England or in other parts of the world, there seems to be still a, quite a, a large devotion. To yeah, yeah. Books. I see. What you're, I see what you're what you're getting at now. I I think um, I think 
I I still believe that books are are here to stay. I don't think it is. Um, I kind of disagree with the the, the premise of. I mean, I, I I obviously books will always be there. Stories will always be there. Um, the publishing world is is uh, is mighty. You know, it's competitive. There's still uh, uh, authorship. There's still there's still prizes given. There's still you know. There's yeah. still a culture around books. There's an economy and there's a, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. There's like, you know, uh, the whatever, like Oprah's book club and Reese's book club and 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 all this sort of uh, uh, definite economy around books. Um, there are different kinds of books. There's graphic novels. There's also, you know, your beach read. There's the, there's uh, what you, the, the books that you buy in the airport. I mean, there's, there's tons uh, of literature I think um I think stories and storytelling will never go away and uh I think that it, it comes in different forms in the film the argument is more about you know how we how we absorb uh that story you know how we absorb the stories and to that I think I I totally agree we we absorb um stories not only stories but news and and headlines in and just in that form in a headline form in maybe five words or like a tweet or you just skim a headline or your your news feed is your facebook feed or is uh you know whatever you just caught on like whatever scrolling app that you've got and you're not taking the time to read deeply and thoroughly and you know uh it has to be right. Nuance is missing often. And nuance, yeah. And to take right. the time to really sit and absorb and kind of get lost and deep into into a story, and 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 it's a, it's almost like a deep learning thing. So you're kind of just being, you know, it's it's like getting sprinkled with information instead of just jumping in the sea, you know. Yeah, you know? I like that. Then I mean, in a way, the, even though the books play such a central part of your the story of, of bestsellers which by the way opens september 17th here in the dune here in the states uh but it's about it's really about loss and um unresolved grieving right uh, michael kane is a is a widower and he's lost the love of his life and he sort of doesn't really have a passion for for life anymore he sort of goes through you know that he's just living he's just breathing and yeah. um and then this young whippersnapper <laughs> in the form of a very in the form of a very desperate Aubrey Plaza, who I think was really terrific in this film. Um, I have to say, you know, Michael Caine almost hands the film over to her. He kind of steals a lot of the scenes he's in, obviously, but she really is almost every moment of the film. So yeah, she, she's great. Right. And yeah. so she sort of brings new life into his into his world. It's a kind of a classic structure, but these two have good chemistry. I thought, you know, you really felt like they bonded deeply, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm exceptionally, I'm really proud of their performances in the film. You know, they, um, they're obviously come from different schools of, uh, of acting and different different ways of performing. They have different experiences, um, and different ways of working. And, uh, and I think, that together, though, uh, they were both 
in this film in particular, they were able to kind of show sides of themselves that they, they don't usually get to, to show. Aubrey's more known for the sort of comedic kind of, uh, you know, almost like physical comedy, kind of really strong kind of uh, character sure. acting. Right. And obviously Michael is known more for maybe some more sort of upper crusty kind of uptight kind of characters. And here they almost, we almost like flip the, flip the narrative a little bit between them. And I think for Aubrey too, I'm really proud of her performance that she gets to the arc that that character goes on from really upper, these really tight kind of like square buttoned up kind of who she right. thinks she can yeah. be as a character. And then she gets to right. go on this trip and kind of slowly we watch her unravel and, yeah. and kind she's, of. She's tightly controlled. Right. And then yeah. we watch and, her unravel. It's fun to watch. Yeah, and then she gets to unravel in the same way that she sees like Michael Caine's character do to find like this true sense of of who she really is at the end. So I think she did a great job. Yeah, I agree. How I mean, come on. We this is obviously you know it's an Aubrey Plaza. It's a great vehicle for her and her talent. But I mean, Michael Caine. Uh, first of all, getting Michael Caine. That's one question. How did you do that? That seems like an awfully uh, amazing. Uh, feat accomplishment and th- this is a, like you haven't made a bunch of features right this is my first feature i don't understand it so <laughs> explain and you're canadian which is maybe that's the answer part two part two you you should talk about that experience and i i came within a very sh- small uh distance of him in a party of a couple of years back much very tall guy actually but i i i was just like too intimidated not because of anything he did but just because of like i wouldn't really i had no idea what i would say oh you know i just figured i'm gonna make an ass of myself so i'm not gonna do it which i instantly regretted too well he would have been uh completely charming and he would have knocked your socks off because maybe he's generous And he's authentic and he's, he's just a beautiful man, you know? Um, but to back to how, how this all happened. Yeah. I, I, as you said, I've done a few short films and um, then I was invited to this TIFF talent lab okay. and, and there I was asked to, everybody had to do self-portrait um, film. And this is a, this is like a lab where they take like emerging filmmakers from sure. around the world and, um, and and so we all to present the self-portrait and uh, one of the mentors was Cassian Elwes, producer, and he loved my self-portrait and um, he was just really taken by it. And then he and then he watched my short films. And then at the end of the lab, like a week after the whole thing was done, he sent me an email and with the attachment of the script of bestsellers. Um, and he just said, you know, tell me what you think. And then I did. <laughs> <laughs> and was it was Kane already attached? Is that what you're saying? Or? No, no, he oh. wasn't. And um, and also it was his daughter, Ariel, who had found the script originally, and they wanted to do a film together. And um, and then and then uh, so then I started working with Anthony, who was the writer a bit, but then Rico, right? Yeah, yeah. and um and then after then then Cassian was doing another film with Michael and he he said, hey, well, I've got this this project. And he told Michael about me, he told how he met, and he and he gave him the script. 
And Michael read the script and he was like, I'm on board. And he was game, you know, he, uh, he wanted to do it. And then we, um, yeah. And then Aubrey came on board and then <laughs> Michael came to cold, wintry Montreal. And of course, as you're, what you're alluding to when you say that, you know, you'd be sort of daunted to speak with him at a party. Like, obviously I was scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's my first feature film. Who the hell am yeah. I to be? Uh, what a, what a, what a legacy of films going back to like Alfie and so many other. Incredible, incredible right. films. Um, yeah. And, and of course everybody knows him, knows what he can do. Um, and yeah, I thought like I was like Cassian. Like, is he crazy? Like, who is this guy? Why does he think? Who am I? You know, um, all those all those thoughts. And up until, of course, the first day on on set and meeting and Michael on the set, and we're like, okay, now we're gonna work now. How how is this gonna happen? You know. Um, but very quickly, I realized because he's he's so generous and and because he really wants to do well um he wants to do the work he wants to he wants to work so i i realized really quickly like oh we're just we're just working together i, I we're just talking you know and um we we really quickly got along very well and after every take he would just say to me he's like was that all right love you know was was that okay you know you just like look look at me like fit it and then look at me like seek me out and and then we we talk about it. We're like, oh yeah, it was great. okay. What maybe this, you know? So it wasn't it wasn't like um, it was never that I was ever going to tell Sir Michael Caine what to do. But you know, we well, he, he was like, well, no, but we, you know, I'm supposed to be steering the ship, so that that was my job. And um, luckily, everybody wanted to you know try to bring they they were they're giving you know and. He's so generous, as I said, and um, and just a genius. Like I, I just learned it's a joy just watching him. I got to watch him on the monitor. I got to watch him. Yeah, you must have been pinching out. yourself at times, thinking. Yeah, yeah. How did this happen? <laughs> yeah, I still yeah. am. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, <laughs> and it comes off terrific. You did a great job. I mean, it's uh, uh, we're, it's. I'm going to urge people to see it. Uh, again, it comes out here in the in the States on uh, September the 17th and it's directed by Lena. Okay. Let's see if I can not butcher your last name because I, I'm going to say wrestler, but that's <laughs> wrong. No, that's what I did. That's what I do. I noticed. Like I noticed. I know. Yeah. No. T- but correct me. It's Lena Rossler. Rossler. Very good. I tried to do the, uh, you know, American pronunciation, not the Canadian. That was my, her. Well, my name's not Canadian. Well, I guess it is Canadian because it's so European. <laughs> it's just a bad joke on my part. I'm trying to save face a little bit. but And again, it stars Michael Caine, Aubrey Plaza, uh, Ellen Wong, Scott Speedman. Who else did I? I don't want to leave Carrie anybody. Carrie Elwes as well. Carrie Elwes. What a strange coincidence. Yes. What I a know. strange coincidence. That last name keeps... I was going to ask you. So Cassie is the daughter Cassian is a man. Cassian is a man who is related to Carrie. Carrie's brother. They're brothers. Yeah. Let me and rephrase. And that, that name keeps coming up. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to fix in the in the post. I'm going to fix the post. I'm going to fix. Uh, it's okay. I, I... 
Oh, that's my cue, I guess. Oh, it must be. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, who gets a yeah, clock like that? <laughs> What's that? It's, a, it's That's the Big Ben sound. Dun, it, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Well, I'm right. I can see the Thames from here. <laughs> Anyhow. Well, really nice to meet you. And I'm really delighted to meet you and to talk about the film. And I, it's not never quite enough time to do, I hope, you know, I hope I did it justice a little bit, but, but if you love, well, people are going to go because they're going to, they love these two actors, first of all, I think. And, uh, and I hope it's a big opportunity for you and that you have lots more features coming out, you know, and projects. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure one is on the horizon already, but thank you very much. It was nice meeting you. Thanks, Adam. Okay. Take care. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is not selling, okay? No one is buying it. I can't get him to do anything. All I am to him is his driver and his Scotch Sherpa. Let's go. You want to buy a book? You want to know what I think? Times have changed. Hashtags bullshit! How a book is released today has become just as meaningful as its content. Eden was gone, no longer within reach. God was done with mistakes. Well, that was too melodramatic. You vanquished my fears. And for that, <laughs> I am forever grateful. He's made me nuts, hasn't he? I know. Mr. Shaw, what is your book about? Be brave. Yes. Be truthful. Even the worst of us get lucky. Somehow, you have over 20,000 followers. Christ had followers. It didn't end well for him. The Bible was a bestseller, wasn't it? Thank you, everybody, again. Back next week with a brand new episode, including, as I mentioned earlier, Michael Galinsky, my second guest on the show. We also have up as um, I'll leak this uh, Film Wax Radio friend, Carmine Famiglietti, who is also in one of the first episodes. We're going to wrangle a few more of these early guests to come back on the show. And if you were one of them and you're listening, reach out to me. All right, everybody. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time, take care. 